the simplicity of Ayurveda is you eat seasonally. That's it. It's not about counting calories or fat grams or points or having a major degree in nutrition so that you can understand what's on your plate. Welcome to the HTW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind the scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold pressed truth about real ways you can feel better mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Erica, good afternoon. What's up? I My heart is racing as Why? I just walked up the stairs a little too fast. <laughs> Um, yeah. Just catch him a breath. It's a lot. These stairs are no joke. They this are no joke. why I do not exercise. Well, this is how you do exercise is, sorry, without answer. actually yes, that's exercising. Right. That's right. Without going to a dedicated session at the gym, I just live in my house <laughs> with my children. Yeah. And lot. my dog. And it's difficult, right? Your heart is, your, uh, yeah. your heart is I'm like still waiting for it to uh-huh. calm down a little bit because mm-hmm. this is what happens in middle age. <laughs> <laughs> you can't catch your breath. And next time I'll give you a toddler to carry while you're going okay. up those stairs. Sounds good. Sounds good. And you could bench press my dog like I used to, <laughs> used to do. I stopped though. Um, so not speaking at all of Ayurveda, but nothing to do Ayurveda. with what we were just talking about. Now, how's your dosha? My dosha? Yeah. Um... Good. Actually, yeah. No, we should talk about it because my dosha is quite active. Yeah, my dosha is fine. How's yours? It's uh, the the seasons are changing, and I think that's actually when people are supposed to be getting in check with their dosha and finding balance, which is what we've learned from our own pursuits of the Ayurveda conversation mm-hmm. through acupuncture, etc. Yeah, and also we had a great chat with Carrie Harling, who is an Ayurveda practitioner. Yes, and she also runs a platform called Holistic Highway. Which is cool. Yeah, similar name idea. I know she's on a holistic highway to well. Yeah, we. You know, Ayurveda is one of those things that I'm still. I've still been sort of flirting with for a while. Is it flirting back? It's not really flirting back with me <laughs> so heavily, but like I. Do you like it? Like it? I'm Ayurveda curious. Mm, interesting. And I think it has to do with all the raw food shaming that I've received yes. in the past like couple of years. But that's ah uh, that you know the, the Chinese Eastern medicine practitioners are always sort of poo-pooing the the raw and favoring the cooked over over the raw. But you know well, she she makes a lot of good points. She has a good argument. There there's definitely an argument to both sides, but yeah, part of it I'm is open. what your body how it functions best and for both of us I think with a primarily vata dosha. I think I'm pretty vata. You're supposed to have more cooked than raw if any. So part of it is, you know, what's feeding your body properly and then part of it is what feeding your is what's feeding your soul and like fresh fruit is delicious and I like salad. It's not because I like it cuz I think it's healthy. I like it cuz it's crunchy and it fresh and you know I'm not supposed to be eating that much of it but I think it's like you gotta you gotta feed your soul and your body at the same time in defense of salad in defense of salad our next book (laughs) (laughs) so with that um, please enjoy the Ayurveda talk with Carrie it was quite it was it was a good one yeah Welcome, Carrie Harling, Ayurvedic practitioner, CEO, and founder of Holistic Highway. Thank Welcome. you. Thank we are you. all about the highway puns in this crew. <laughs> yeah. It's all a journey. It's all a journey. It's the road to health. Yes. yes. Um, we would like to hear about your road to health and your journey that has brought you to where you are with Ayurveda and with the Holistic Highway and all of the good work you are doing for people out there getting familiar with um, Ayurvedic practices and medicine. So tell us, tell us how it all began. 
Well, it all began actually with my own health story. Um, and, and many of us have, have different health stories, but I actually spent a lot of my life quite unhealthy. And uh, that really surprises people, especially clients who come on board with me, who, who see, assume that I've always been healthy and, and have never known what illness is like. But I actually spent years being diagnosed with lots and lots of different diseases from fibromyalgia to depression to Lyme's disease to anxiety, chronic fatigue. Um, and, and each time I saw somebody who gave me the best of their care, it was a new medication, it was a new pill, it was the new sort of hope that this is the problem, now we're going to fix it. You know, I, I would go to a physician, be prescribed the latest drug for my latest symptoms. But it soon became apparent after a couple of years that everybody was just addressing the symptoms. Nobody was looking at the underlying cause that was creating my health problems in the first place. At that time, I was a single parent of, of a very active son. And, you know, my fatigue got so bad that I would have to weigh up on a day-to-day -day basis. If I do X, Y, Z with my son, if I go for a walk with him, if, if he wants to go skiing, God forbid, he wants to do something something active like going skiing, what will I have to give up on the energy scale on the other side? And everything became this sort of analysis of, of how much energy am I going to put out and how much, how's that going to knock me out for the following week? So I got pretty desperate. The only thing that helped me with some of that fatigue was, was just gentle stretching. That was gentle yoga. So that was my first introduduction into sort of something that would help me at that point. I'd and heard about this, just, just to understand kind of in the landscape of like the wellness movement and, and how commonplace any of this was in, in, in a regular conversation. What, what time? Yeah, we're, we're in the early 90s at this okay. point. So not yeah. super common at this point. No, just beginning to become sort of popular, but there wasn't a yoga studio on every street corner. No. Right. So um, finally, I found an alternative health practitioner that was an MD too and um, did a heavy metal test and I was diagnosed with heavy metal toxicity, mercury toxicity, in fact, which suddenly explained the fatigue, the brain fog I was trying to study at the time. So... Finally, I knew the cause and, and I thought this was it. All I have to do is go for chelation therapy, remove the mercury, and I'm going to be absolutely fine. Well, it took five years of treatment. Oh my God. Um, it was a long haul treatment and I was not fine at the end. Yes, the mercury went, but I was depleted and I didn't know how, how to not, I was still tired mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know what to do. I sort of really didn't have any kind of vitality. Did you know the source of the mercury? Did you ever find out? No, everybody asked me that. You know, did you ever live near a canning factory? Did you ever live near a hat, a hat factory? Because apparently hats used to be made with... Yes, with that's, why it's called the, that's why it's called the Mad Hatter. That's right. As mad as a hatter. That, yep. Yep. I finally realized what that phrase meant. Yes, yeah. from, from mercury toxicity. People asked me, did I exist on a diet of fish at one time? But there was, there was no sort of smoking gun for the root cause. Absolutely, absolutely not. But at this time, I was introduced to Ayurveda in a stronger way. I'd done more and more yoga, felt a little bit better, still didn't know too much about it, couldn't even really pronounce it. But um, knew that it was some kind of medicine that did something and you maybe had to be Indian and you may have to study Hinduism, um, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. So I didn't really get into it at that time. And then we sort of fast forward about five years and I'm still limping along with health, not sort of getting anywhere with it. Not bad enough that I need to do anything drastic, but not good enough that, that I felt good. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I was in a pretty stressful job. And for me, the worst thing could have happened. I got fired. And I did what most of us would do, sort of blow the dust off your resume, send your resume right back out there again, and applied for exactly the same job that um, I just got fired from. What type and of I did, work were you doing? I was a dean at a college at the time. Okay. And I got picked up by another university and I was going to do the exact same job. And there was just something inside that said, hang on a minute, 
do you want to go back to the same old way of doing things? And I looked at all my friends who were as stressed out as I was, um, complaining of weight gain, complaining of fatigue, not sleeping well, using caffeine to get going in the morning, wine to de-stress and unwind at night. Weekends were spent with, spent with sort of catch-up. So you could do the whole thing over again for the following week. And as I'm contemplating all this and thinking, I don't think I want to go back to that, and I'd always had an interest in an alternative health, there's a flyer comes through my door advertising an Ayurveda program. So I looked at this and thought, oh, this is that strange thing that I, I got introduced to years ago that I never quite sort of knew what it was all about. And it was Kripalu School of Ayurveda advertising their program. So I called them up and said, you know what, I think I want to come and do this. And they said, well, here's the sticker price. <laughs> and I said, oh, I can't afford that because, I mean, I got fired. There was no severance package here. So they offered a scholarship. So that was it. Two months later, I was studying Ayurveda. And I have not looked back. Wow. And, the, and the phrase is that you don't find Ayurveda, it finds you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it has. And as I say, I have not looked back since. And very, um, I mean, that's pretty exciting. Not a lot of people can, can make such a huge pivot. And so how long were you in school at that point? Well, I've, I've been um, continuously studying. I'm still studying it. So um, I spent a year at Kripalu and then I went to the Ayurveda uh, then I went to the Ayurveda Institute, studied with Dr. Ladd. I've been to India a couple of times and studied out there. Realize you do not have to study Hinduism to practice Ayurveda. Right. <laughs> and I'm in advanced practitioner training right now up in Boston. And so do you have to study yoga to study Ayurveda? It, they are sister sciences. And at one time, Ayurveda was never taught without yoga and mm-hmm. yoga was never taught without Ayurveda. But here in the West, we've separated them. And the idea, we come from the same basic Vedas, which are the, the, the ancient books that, that give us all this knowledge. And uh, Ayurveda sort of says you have to be, well, let's go look at it the other way. Yoga says to reach enlightenment, we need to practice these, these sort of yoga poses in order to reach enlightenment, to still the mind, to be able to do those things. Ayurveda says, but you have to be healthy enough if you even want to balance on one foot. Mm-hmm. So let's start with health. And that's how they complement one another. So it's really so, about establishing a baseline. Yes. So definitely, I mean, I'm a yoga teacher too. So I've always, you know, because there's this to sciences and it makes sense for me. And I often suggest yoga for a lot of my clients, especially when they need to sort of ground that central nervous system or there's lots of anxiety. Yoga is a really good mind-body exercise, as is Tai Chi and and Qigong. There are other mind-body exercises too, or ways of looking at things, but yoga is really nice. Yeah. yeah, well, and that is at least speaking to the more, you know, the traditional actual definition of yoga, which like many things, I think has been a little bit co-opted and bastardized by our desire to like, you know, create a, a commercial culture and like the, you know, I mean, I, I participate in some of it where, you know, I go to like a, a sweaty yoga class that uses music and I know full well, like I, I did a yoga teacher training a million years ago. I understand there's a difference between what actual yoga is and the way that we treat it. Um, yes. But truly, the you know, the actual real essence of it does have so much more to do with that mind-body connection and really kind of stilling yourself and Hopefully people understand that, you know, something that's, you know, like Rihanna yoga by candlelight with like sweating on top of the person next to you is not actually the same thing. Yeah. Well, I went to um, a hot yoga studio in Pittsburgh one time when I was out there doing some workshops. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. It doesn't appeal to me personally. Was it big Um, or was it just hot yoga? No, it was just hot yoga. So I went to this hot yoga studio and they had a vomit bucket in the corner just in case you needed it and I walked out and thought there is no way this is yoga at all (laughs) a vomit bucket wow Wow. that is um that's it's where we are now yeah so when you said earlier that they come from the same beta like what Mm -hmm. can can we just define what beta means (laughs) so these are the ancient texts Um, the ancient books, if you like, that write everything down that tell us how to live in terms of 
I mean, there are so many of them. And I'd have to go back to my studies to define which one that we both came out of came out, I think is the Rage of Vedas, that talk about Ayurveda and yoga together and talk about the benefits of each different pose, what it does, both physiologically and emotionally. And then talks about Ayurveda too, in terms of um, the different diseases, the treatments for those diseases, the pharmacopoeia, the surgery. Ayurveda used to have surgery included in it at one point. So these are those books that we refer back to as the basic books, as, as the sort of classical texts. Mm-hmm. And we, they come, and both yoga and Ayurveda come from the same classical texts. So let's, okay, so let's break down what Ayurveda actually is. I think, you know, it's, it's a word that is certainly much more commonly understood or, or not necessarily understood, it's certainly more commonly used now than say 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and I think people have a kind of base understanding of like, oh, it's Eastern medicine, but don't really understand how it differs from, you know, Chinese medicine, for example, and don't know if it's about food or herbs or, and, you know, this whole concept of dosha, which I think is fascinating, which we definitely want to dive into because Zoe and I were taking your dosha quiz on your website right before we started talking. <laughs> and we have lots of dosha questions. Um, but can you just explain in very simple terms what Ayurveda is and what it's all about? And then we can kind of dive in from there. Yeah, so so the Ayurveda healing system, well, well, the term Ayurveda in Sanskrit means the science of life or the science of longevity. So it really is a blueprint for how to live the rest of your life with health and vitality. And that's what many of us are missing in in our culture, that sense of vitality. And Ayurveda is based on certain principles that says there is no one size fits all. So there is no one drug that suits all people. There's no one supplement that's right for all people no one diet or lifestyle regimen or even type of yoga because we are all unique. And then we also understand that we can use food as medicine. So it takes a sort of kitchen pharmacy approach that says, let's use the things around us that can help us. For example, turmeric is an Ayurveda herb. Now it's crossed over and everybody thinks we've always had turmeric, you know, in this country. But the anti-inflammatory properties of turmeric have been probably overextended. But this, this is an example of how we can use food as medicine. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that we should live in harmony with the seasons, and we've kind of forgotten that. So foods should change with the seasons. And it kind of makes sense that in the summertime, you want those more cooling, refreshing foods Whereas in wintertime, you want those sort of more heavier, nutrition-dense foods to combat the, the coldness of winter. So nature actually provides the right foods in the right times. So for example, strawberries, they're, they're out about this time of year. Strawberries are a cooling food. So ideal for this time of year, we need to be cooled because it's hot out there. But if you were to put those same strawberries on your oatmeal or cereal in the middle of winter, you're going to feel sluggish. Mm. And who on earth would, would, would think that strawberries could make you feel sluggish? So just an example of the right foods, but just in the wrong seasons. So it's important to eat seasonally. And then we tend to take an approach that like increases like and opposites balance. So we're going to take the opposites to balance you down. So somebody, for example... A client came to me and she was very, very vata, which means she had a lot of anxiety. She was very thin. She had very prominent bones. She had cold hands and feet all the time, um, was waking up sort of two, three o'clock in the morning, had, had chronic constipation. And she said to me, Carrie, I don't know what's wrong with me. I eat really, really healthy. I have two salads a day. So we're looking at qualities here. Salads are light and dry. This person had a lot of lightness and dryness already in them. So what we did... Wait, wait, wait. Salads are light and dry? Salads are are wet, aren't they? I don't think it's... No. If you think about something oily, like an avocado, they're both wet, yes. But an avocado, you can... can, If you were to have an avocado, it's oily and heavy, whereas salads are not oily. They're light and they're dry. They're Unless already wet. You dash them in oil, but then that's a different thing. 
And that's what we do. We do douse them in oil for somebody who might need more grounding. So that, that, that's a good point. So coming back to, to um, my client, so what we did with her is we just grilled her vegetables, cooked her vegetables instead of having them raw. That's all we did. And within two months, she was sleeping through the night. She had no constipation. She wasn't always cold and her anxiety was better. So she was doing so much better in all her areas of, of problems. So it's so a matter referred, Yeah, you referred to her as a vata, which, I mean, Zoe and I are sitting here listening going, uh, check, 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 check. Yes. That's <laughs> um, so that is, that is the dosha type. And it is, so it is around this. How, like, is someone just born into their dosha type? Like what, what create that? Like, how does it happen in the I'm first born place? Born into your dosha type. Yes. And then also how often do you, does your dosha change? Right. How often do you need to check back in and see if it has changed? What you yeah. Great questions. Great questions. So Ayurveda is a constitutional based system of medicine, classifies people into three categories. So these categories have very sort of specific emotional and mental qualities that you're always going to have. So your dosha at birth doesn't change. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, these constitutional types where we've sort of referred to one. So we have vata, pitta, kapha. These are just Sanskrit terms. We could use ABC, summer, spring, fall, you know, black, red, white. It doesn't matter what the term we call, but it, it's just a way of categorizing. And everybody is a combination of all three dishes. So we all have vata, pitta, and kapha in us. Those doshas create balance in our bodies. And when they go out of balance, they're going to create symptoms. And ultimately, if those symptoms aren't put in check, we're going to create disease. So let's take somebody who has a lot of digestive problems, gas and bloating. We know this happens to a lot of people. 87% of Americans have digestive problems. That's huge. huge. Absolutely. Most of it's gas, bloating, or constipation, um, acidity, acid reflux, and burping is becoming more and more of a problem. Wait, constant burping. Burping, constant burping. Burping? Yes. Oh, like, yeah. Uniquely in American. Yes. Gosh, well, issue. Isn't, isn't that considered like a compliment in some countries? Um, <laughs> after a meal, yes, but not, not when it's constant. Yes. Oh. So, so that's just an example of an imbalance. You know, that dosha has gone out of balance. And, and when we talk about doshas, it, it's probably easier to sort of think, well, let me ask you, have you ever wondered why some people are really happy, they're upbeat all the time, other people, you know, are always sort of eat or type and they're glum and they never see the glass as half full? How come some people do worry incessantly about everything and go down every rabbit hole in their minds at three o'clock in the morning where other people just don't seem to worry about anything? How come your friend can eat cakes and chocolate chip cookies and never put a pound on, whereas you just look at a glass of water and you've put on five pounds? Um, And the key to all those answers actually lies in your dosha. So just as you are born with a unique genetic makeup, you're also born with a unique proportion of your doshas. And it's your doshas that determine your individual type, your, your, your temperament, your physical characteristics. And these doshas are made up of the elements, which are air, space, water, fire, and earth. And they combine in different proportions for each person. That's what makes you unique. Just as we all have the same genes, but they're different in proportions for each one of us. Some switch on, some don't. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to sort of your genetic predisposition as well. Now, what you do in a dosha quiz is you determine your dominant dosha at the time. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea of Ayurveda is to keep your doshas in balance. So So ideally, you want to be equal parts, like one of each? No, ideally, you want to... No, and a lot of people do think that. And that kind of makes sense when we talk about balance because we're used to everything being level to be in balance. You, so let's say, for example, your dosha at birth is vata pitta. 
then for you to be in balance, you need to be vata pitta. Mm-hmm. If, if your vata's gone out of balance and you're suffering from anxiety or Parkinson's, um, then we know that the vata's got, gone too far out of balance. Or let's say you have migraine headaches and hyperacidity, you're still vata pitta, but your pitta's gone out of balance. Yeah. Or maybe you're very sluggish, you've put on a lot of weight, you're unmotivated, you're depressed. This could be the fact that your kapha's gone out of balance. So the idea in this is where opposites attract or like increases like, we use the opposite qualities to balance you. So somebody who has high anxiety, is cold all the time, is very, very thin. If they're out running 20 miles a day and eating nothing but salads, you just kind of know intuitively that that's going to be the wrong thing for this person. Mm -hmm. And that's where we would turn around and say, okay, they're exacerbating their vata, creating an imbalance. What we have to do is just slow them down a little bit, ground them down a little bit, and add more warming um, cooked foods so that they don't have as much gas and bloating, so that we haven't got too much of their air quality inside them. And it addresses the anxiety. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's like kind of like a tune-up. I mean... It's yes. like a very delicate kind of recipe to, to adjust. But I guess to Zoe's point, it's, you don't necessarily want equal parts. You want yeah. to be in balance with what you are born with. But how do you, yeah. how do you know that in the first place when exactly. if you take a quiz, for example, you're answering it as you are in the moment and not necessarily as you've always been? And you have brought up in a, in a very um, great way, and I'm glad you did bring that up, the limitations of quizzes. So <laughs> quizzes are a lot of fun, and they certainly give us a lot of information. But a quiz is a single moment in time. It's a snapshot. It can only spit back the information that you put in. That's all any quiz, not just mine, but any quiz is designed to do. The second limitation of any quiz is it is self-reporting. So you're putting down who you think you are. That is not necessarily who you are. Right. Actually, while we were taking them, like half of the questions had to do with your, you know, your proper functions, shall we say. And that, um, you know, whether you're constipated or whatever. And then the other half had to do with more just your personality. Are you prone to anxiety? Are you someone who likes to make decisions and get things done? Blah, blah, blah. So I think, like, I, while we were taking it, I was about to tell Erica, I think we should answer the questions that have to do with our personality for each other. But what the quiz can do is tell you what the dosha imbalance is at the moment you take the quiz. And that's why it's in the cleanse, because the cleanse can address that dosha imbalance. But to truly know who you are, you need to see an Ayurveda practitioner. We do do an eight-point consultation. It's a two- to four-hour consultation to really put all the pieces of the puzzle wow. together. And, and, yep. and yeah, see yeah. What, what happens in a consultation? So um, what we're going to do is ask lots of questions, go back to childhood, determine what your dosha is at childhood. We often do a pulse analysis. It's one of the tools that we use. We'll, we'll palpate organs too. We'll do a tongue analysis. We'll look at nails and skin to get an idea of not, not just how you're presenting the moment you're there in, the, in, a, in an office, but also what's going on with you um, in terms of um, what tissues are, are out of sync. What I'm looking at what, when I'm doing a consultation with a client is not just what just what their dosha is, but how strong is their digestion? Are they able to assimilate the nutrition? What time of life are they in? Do they have the strength for a cleanse, for example? At what disease state are they in? We have six stages of disease in Ayurveda that we can determine long before a physician would ever pick up anything on the test. So what level of disease are you in? Are you strong enough to handle the kind of treatments that I I might be thinking, some of the herbal supplements? So all this goes into that consultation. Can you talk more about that six stages of disease analysis? That's really interesting. Yeah, so um, this comes back to dosha as well. So when the dosha first starts going out of balance, what it does is it just sort of starts giving some signs and symptoms. You know, maybe it's the odd gas and bloating here and there. Maybe you don't feel quite so peppy one day. Maybe you just didn't quite sleep as well and you just put it down to, you know, I'm getting older or maybe I just need to 
exercise some more or I'll take some vitamins, all these things. I mean, it's nothing that's going to get you to a physician, but you just know you're not just quite on par and then, you, then you're fine again. So when we start seeing some of the, those things happen, we know that's that first stage of disease. Now, if that's ignored and you don't take a preventative approach, then we go to another another stage of disease where those doshas start leaving their place of origin and start showing up elsewhere in the body. So let's take our Vata person that we've sort of referred to so far. You can just call her Erica or Zoe. (laughs) (laughs) Erica and Zoe, yes. So they may start off with, okay, I feel a little ungrounded every now and then. I'm a little weepy. I just, you know, my moods are up and down. I've got some pain that comes and goes. I'm not just sleeping every, every now and then. I'm not. And let's say you ignore all that. And then the next thing is um, maybe it's three or four nights that you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning. And then maybe the gas and bloating becomes more predominant and maybe it's almost every day. And then maybe it starts going in other places. Maybe it's backache that comes and goes. So now that that vata dosha has moved around the body and we can see that that disease is then taking place in other parts of the body. And then if that's ignored, then maybe that vata dosha then starts engaging the other doshas. Good example, coming back to the elements. So I will often have a pitta person who's a very fiery type of person say to me, you know, I can flare up in anger and I don't know what happens. All of a sudden, I'm so angry and then it just goes. What's going on here? And if you look at sort of a pitta person has a lot of the fire quality in them. A vata person has a lot of air quality. And let's say you have somebody who's a, a dual dosha, vata pitta, and they're out of balance. Imagine air blowing on fire. What does that do? Right. Flares it up. Flares it up. There's your anger. There's that flash that we see. So it's a matter of, okay, then what we have to do is cool down, you know, sort of reduce that air quality. So that's not running all over the place and then reduce that fire quality for you so that you haven't got that interplay of doshas. Mm. So then we start seeing two doshas affected and then we get to a point where I just had a client the other day who's come on board with me with cancer. Now we have all three doshas at play. They all have an aspect of, of this disease at this point because things weren't taken care of 10 years ago or five years ago. And it's so much better to take care of something and take a preventative approach than have somebody come see me where it's like, oh my gosh, if we could have looked at your diet 10 years ago, if we could have put into place some lifestyle changes for you that would have been so much better, you wouldn't be dealing with this now. So all those stages of disease, coming back to your original question, is, is how far have we progressed in that, in the body and the mind? I'm going to go ahead and say I'm at about stage two. <laughs> Does it come and go? Yes, but mostly because, you know, it's, I think it's exacerbated when I'm holding children too long or... Oh, well, then the answer is just drop the children. Yeah, no exactly. problem. Do you have a dosha for that? <laughs> um, yeah. So what, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like it's very, um, I mean, it sounds a bit complicated, actually, like, to get to the bottom of it. Um, but, it seems like something you have to really pay close attention to all the time. Yeah. And I, I just, I wonder how much of it, like, are there some really basic things that you can say are good for any dosha? So things that any dosha should avoid or do more of. Yeah. So, so that's from my perspective as a practitioner looking at people. So yes, I'm looking at all that. But, but somebody who comes to see me, what I turn around to them is say, well, here's some simple daily and seasonal routines that are going to keep you balanced, that are going to keep you on track. And that's what we focus in. And that's different for everybody. But are there some general things? Yes. Getting to bed on time without the TV blasting is just a general thing. Right. Um, (laughs) Nobody does that that anymore. Yes. Not staying up too late. But, you know, between the hours of 10 and 2 in the morning is, is... 
is the time for our body to rejuvenate and restore. So if we're staying up finishing projects sort of 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, or we're a person that says, but I do my best work at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, that's my husband. It drives me nuts. I'm so the opposite. I know. My my brain only functions like in the early morning. And then by 9 o'clock, I'm like, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. No. He just wants to watch Handmaid's Tale. And we often think that that's not right. So something's out of balance there. If somebody's saying like, my best work happens at like midnight or 1 a.m. Well, they can say they think their best work happens there, but it's not good for their bodies. I mean, they may well be getting, um, what they've, what they've done is engage that pitter time of day because the the day is broken down into doshas too. They've engaged that drive time of day, which is supposed mm. to happen between 10 in the morning and two in the afternoon. That's the time to be productive. But if you have somebody who's doing it at nighttime, and we've all done that where we've pushed bedtime and all of a sudden we get that second wind. That's because we've, we've gone into that pitter time of night, which is about drive. Mm. Um, but we've engaged it at night where it should be engaged at day. But somebody who continuously does that is going to end up having problems that probably they may have skin rashes, they may have migraines, they may get acidity or irritability. There's only so long you can keep pushing it before your body turns around and says, hey, here's some signs and symptoms, you know, that things aren't right. Yeah. Um, And there's only so long you can push it until until your wife turns around and says, Hey, I want to keep your pitter in check, young man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, can I just ask a general question about just diet? And it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, Ayurveda is, um, I would say even in the past year, at least in New York, I feel like it's really popping up as mm-hmm. like a, a new kind of way of eating, a new health trend. And it's sort of, you know, kind of reminds me of like the macrobiotic approach and that everything seems to be like cooked and a little bit more um, focused on like, you know, grains and vegetables, not so much dairy, Um, which I, you know, I understand. um, And that sounds like a wonderful, healthy diet. But I, as a person who at one point was a raw foodist and who I think now based on this quiz, uh, I think I'm pretty vata. I can say that when I was eating raw foods, I felt really, really good. And I don't know if that had to do I don't know if it had to do more with what I was omitting. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Or did it have to do with the fact that my body really responded to raw foods? Um, because because uh, as a vata, you shouldn't necessarily respond well to raw food. Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of the idea, right? And it sounds like in general, like Ayurveda doesn't really and the same with Chinese medicine, I feel like both of these Eastern practices, it's very much like cook the food, it's easier to digest, et cetera. Whereas raw food, uh, you know, the thought behind that is that it's easier to digest because it is raw and because the enzymes are active um, as opposed to when you cook your food and the enzymes are no longer there. I mean, so it's very, it's very confusing to me. It is confusing. And I'd love to address that. You've brought up several things, so I want to address that. So first off, you say... Um, let's look at the comparison of Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. So Ayurveda is 5,000-year-old system of medicine. And what happened is, is the monks came over to India, picked up Ayurveda medicine, traveled to Asia with it, and became the roots for traditional Chinese medicine, which is why there's so much similarity between Ayurveda and, and traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, they both you're the first person who has explained that to me in a way that I yeah. actually understand. Yeah. And I've asked the question, what is the difference between Chinese medicine and Ayurveda like yep. so many times? Okay, go on. So whereas Ayurveda has mama points, which are points on the body that you can actually manipulate, traditional Chinese medicine took those same mama points, they became acupressure points, and then they developed into needling them. That's acupuncture. But it's the same points. They, they have five elements. We have five elements, but they have, they've, moved, they've changed one of the elements. So it has adapted. So then what happened is through the trade use, roots, this system of medicine that has its roots in Ayurveda moved to the Western world, to Greece, where it formed our traditional Western medicine of today. So that's the history of it. 
Now, coming back to what you were saying, that you feel that traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda wants you to cook your food, there's more dairy and grains. For some people, remember, there's no one size fits all. Raw foods are perfectly suitable for some people, and they should have raw foods. A kaffir who's heavy, sluggish, needs, needs raw foods. So there is no one size fits all. You also said you felt really, really good on raw foods. And of course you would. It puts you in a catabolic state, okay? It takes energy to break those raw foods down, which is why it's really good for an overweight catheter. They need that energy. They need that sort of energy happening so that they can lose weight. So it puts you in a catabolic state. And you, you know, when you're burning that fuel really quickly, you're going to have a lot of energy, but it's not sustainable for a vata for a long period of time. They can certainly do it initially, and it's a great weight loss jumpstart for a lot of people. But it's, it, but it's going to create digestive problems down the road for a vata who stays on a raw food diet. They yeah. will increase their anxiety. They're going to get more constipated. And it may not happen straight away. It may happen five years later. Right. You know, these things don't happen, happen quickly. It takes time for the body to, to deal with things. I think that was definitely my experience and experimenting with raw food after, you know, learning the gospel, according to Zoe, um, when we first started, you know, talking about it. So I think ultimately, yeah, it proved to be not sustainable. However, I think that to your point earlier, I think a lot of it has to do with what you're omitting um, when you're... But I would also say that I was a raw foodist who also drank alcohol. Well, right. For the record. So when you're doing a cleanse, for example, like a juice, you know, raw juice cleanse, right. taking it a step further, it's like when you're omitting, you know, well, the dairy, alcohol, when you're omitting grapes. even some of the processed, like heavier to digest raw foods. I, I can see how, I mean, you definitely feel great because like Carrie is saying, you know, you're, you're taking all that energy and everything you're breaking down when you're eating raw at least is it can be assimilated because you're not talking about like Cheetos, but ultimately, yeah, I think it does exhaust. And like I said, for me, I certainly discovered, you know, new digestive challenges five years later. I didn't ever have any digestive challenges. The only thing I could say though, uh, well, I don't, not that I remember. I really don't think I did, but now, okay. So I'm sorry. And I don't mean to cut you off because I know you're still answering that question, but before I forget, because I'm a Vanda mm-hmm. and I don't remember yes. well. <laughs> um, the, At what point did, you, did I have to guess who you were? Because I think I'm there. <laughs> so the, the other thing is, you know, I've been, I see some Chinese practitioners and sort of Eastern, you know, medicine um, practitioners, uh, quite a few actually. And, you know, they're always sort of looking at me and, and saying, Dear Lord, Zoe, please just eat some red meat already, build your blood, and eat your, and cook your food. Yes. And the thing is, when I look at all these recipes for like Ayurveda, macrobiotic, all of it, it's it is so um, it is so rich in like nightshades. I find, um, and I tend to not. I do not respond well to nightshades. So I don't really know, like, you know, and I have no desire really to eat meat. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. I'm very confused. Like, I literally will eat nightshades, but I will feel it in my joints. Like, Well, then don't eat it. I mean, it's yeah. a bit like, you know, if, if you hammer your thumb and it hurts, then stop hammering your thumb. Right. Yeah. So if you eat nightshades and they don't suit you. So what's interesting about nightshades is, is, is they have an insecticide on them to ward off predators. Are we talking about lectins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this this is great if you're a nightshade because I mean this this is going to work for you. But for many people who have a lot of vata in them, who have that very sensitive digestion, they don't deal with nightshades very well. So you can't say Ayurveda has a lot of nightshades. A vata meal plan will not have a lot of nightshades in them um, because they're not indicated for vata. Whereas a vata meal plan won't have a lot of legumes in in a in a in meals for them because that doesn't suit them either. So it, it's, again, it, there's no one size fits all. It's what's right for your unique type. Right. And, you know, you may have a lot of vata, you may have some pitcher in you too. And, and yes, you may need more protein. You may, you may actually be a person that needs to eat red meat. 
I have a lot of clients who say, oh, I can't do dairy anymore. And yet it's very indicated that they have the grounding quality of dairy, not necessarily what milk is today, because gosh, who knows what that is? That's not even real food. But they still need that grounding quality of of dairy. So there's no one size fits all. So Ayurveda, what I love, the simplicity of Ayurveda is you eat seasonally. That's it. It's not about counting calories or fat grams or points or having a major degree in nutrition so that you can understand what's on your plate. If we look at animals around us, you don't see them trying to work out their recommended daily amounts to live. You you know, the the deer out there aren't sort of working out how many fat grams and carbs they've got. If they could use an iPhone, then they would. (laughs) (laughs) Not not the deer in Pennsylvania wouldn't. (laughs) So I know, well, I'm happy to to hear you not like shake your finger at dairy because if I had to say no to dairy, I would just be so sorry. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a spectrum of the types of dairy that are, you know, easier and better and higher quality. But I think also it's a valid point to say that, you know, it's not one size fits all and that there, there are other, there, there's so many little kind of levers to pull to find what is the right balance for you and what is the right combination of these foods and your, where your dosha balance lies. It's, I mean, it's fascinating to the extent that it's like, then you think about, okay, well, 10 years ago, my gut bacteria was different because now we know that mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the balance of what's going on in your microbiome has shifted. So yes. that has to play a role too. And you, yes. can't, you, know, you can't look at it in a vacuum in that respect either. There's just so many things that, that are, are playing a role here. Um, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating that, you know, like Zoe was saying, I mean, it's really in the last year or so that Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and uh, these ways of eating and healing are just achieving a much broader sense of, of, you know, part of the conversation and popularity. And I mean, the reality is we're talking about personalized treatment, right? I mean, that's what it yes. comes to. It's, it's a, a personalized very, health plan. Very yes. personalized. Why do you think, given the fact that these practices have been around for like literally thousands of years, why is it just happening now that this personal, this concept of personalization is just so it's just so part of the, the, the conversation now. Like, why is it this, this year and last year so much? Well, I think today a lot of people are deeply sort of disillusioned with a kind of quick fix mentality that we find in conventional medicine. So people are turning more to complementary and alternative forms of medicine, which, which do tend to tap into sort of a slower um, and gentler form of healing. Um, and I think people realize that what's right for one is not right for another, that that just having a pill to match the ill is, is ultimately doesn't help. I mean, I have many people who come to me and say, I just want to get off the medications. We're very quick to put people on medication, but not quite so, so, so smart at getting people off them. Um, for example, I had another client who went through a divorce and obviously was, was depressed and was put on antidepressants. And, and should have been, you know, uncontrolled depression is dangerous. Um, but she went through a divorce 20 years ago and she's still on that antidepressant. So who, who, why? And I said to her, are you depressed? She goes, well, I don't know, but I, every time I come off it, I get very tearful. So again, an example of it, it's so easy to go on something. And I think people are realizing that they want something that is unique for them because they are unique. So it, it just kind of makes sense, intuitive sense. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also like we have access to more information now. So the fact that it's available yes. to us in a personal yes. way makes it appealing. It does. And I think you've hit a, a good point there. Pe- people are researching. Yes. They're looking for different ways of doing it. You know, and the statistics are alarming. I mean, 50% of Americans can't sleep. They either can't get to sleep or they can't stay asleep. Right. That's huge. One in four children are on medication. Um, you know, I've just done a TED talk about that. And it's like, what's going on in our world that one in four children are doped up? Um, why? What crazy world is it that, that we have to medicate our children? I'm having children younger and younger coming in with anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. Why does a six-year-old need to be put on antidepressants? What's going on in our culture? So we have to look at how we live, and we've forgotten 
to live as part of nature. Rarely do we take time out. I have clients who, who can't even find 30 minutes a day just for themselves, just to go for a walk. Um, we overstimulate our children. They're connected and there's nothing wrong with technology. I love technology. But to be overconnected, to overstimulate the senses is a problem for our kids. Oh, and we're I seeing it. We're, we're absolutely I, just, I just felt it last weekend. I got back, we got back from a 10-day trip um, uh, in, in Europe and... I have to say that it was a bit of a free-for-all for our toddlers in terms of screen time because, right. you know, when you're traveling, you pretty much do anything you possibly can so that the person next to you on the plane or the train or the bus or whatever it is doesn't strangle you. screen. <laughs> 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 but I have to say, and this is like two children who rarely, you know, they don't really watch TV. They're certainly not online. But when we came back and we sort of like pulled the plug and said, okay, like that's over now, back to reality, there was such a meltdown. Like, I, but I, yeah. I, I felt their pain because yeah. it was like the, it was like they were literally coming off the drug. Like they had yep. this dopamine reaction where it was just like yes. depleted, and it was kind of scary to watch. Yeah, yeah, so, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you think that's our kids, our adults too, we're also as addicted to our cell phones and things like that. Yeah. So we live in a world that we're constantly bombarded with things. And you take that very Vata person again, who is easily sensitized and it becomes overload. So we don't sleep, our digestion plays up, we get anxiety, which we see a lot of. Or, you know, we look at the foods and, and the quality of our food isn't as good as it used to be. The quality of our soil isn't. So we don't even have as much nutrition in our food, let alone before we get to the point of what are we eating. And, you know, the fast foods that we have out there, the processed foods, the amount of salt and sugar and everything is just far more than what our body is capable of of being able to assimilate. And then we add that to all that sort of hypersensitivity and we wonder why we live in a nation where we're getting sick. It's all too much. And staying sick. Well, go ahead. No, uh, well, I'm just curious. Can you tell us what your dosha is? Me, I am a vata pitta. So I have the creativity of vata and the flightiness of vata. I have to be grounded every now and then. And I have the drive of pitta, but also the irritability of pitta too. So come summertime, you know, I have to have very sort of cooling foods and cooling routines. Like I would not do hot yoga in the middle of summer. Um, if I did, my family would know about it. I'd, I'd, I'd be on the warpath. Um, and uh, in the fall and winter, I have to make sure that vata stays grounded and warm. And the person that has to be warm in the winter time yeah. need lots of light. And uh, so I make sure I do those things. And that keeps me grounded through the seasons. And then as long as I eat fairly seasonably, then uh, I'm good. Yes. Right. Which seems like good advice in general, just even speaking of the quality of our food. Like it doesn't make sense that you should have a strawberry in January that tastes yeah. delicious because if it's delicious, it means that it came from very far away. So then you're yes. taking into account like everything that strawberry has been through to get to you and the carbon footprint and you know, the plight of the strawberry to get to your oatmeal in January. There's just, there's nothing that makes sense about it. But unfortunately, it again, like it's really, we're as a culture, we're just wired to have this like need for instant gratification and mm-hmm. for, you know, for strawberries in January. So it's... Well, I think we've all just forgotten too what it means to eat seasonally because we have access yes. to everything yeah. from different climates. So mm-hmm. it's not even that we've forgotten. It's that some of us have never even known. And yeah. that's something that, you, I mean, it kind of makes you want to just encourage people to pause and think carefully, like, whatever it is that you're eating, is it really what you're designed, like, primarily designed to be eating right now in the, this day in July, for example? And and you can think um, intuitively about that too. I mean, if somebody was to give you a big bowl of chili right now, you'd be like, oh, too heavy. It's summertime. So you know intuitively that that's not right. But that same bowl of chili in in fall or winter is going to be really nice. Your body's going to be like, yeah, I kind of need that to stay warm. And your going to be like, don't bring that bowl of chili anywhere near me. (laughs) There is something to eating right and not having to worry about your weight. So weight gain um, or carrying extra weight, which a lot of my clients are worried about, is, is about an imbalance. I don't offer weight loss programs. I don't believe in weight loss programs or diets because ultimately they don't work. But weight gain is a symptom of an imbalance. Yeah. So by working on what 
what's creating that increased or what's creating that imbalance and balancing that, then the weight just comes off. And is there sort of like a blanket opinion uh, that Ayurveda has about coffee and or alcohol? No, I love my, my cup of coffee the same as everybody else. But again, it comes down to your dosha. So if you are a dosha that's a pitta, for example, that gets heated very easily, very driven, our type A personality that has acid reflux and migraines, you just know intuitively that coffee is going to aggravate that. Would you like a refill, Zoe? Quiet. So be sensible. So, and the same with alcohol. Alcohol is also heating. So if you're suffering from migraines and it's a hot day, I mean, sorry? Is it even tequila? I've had many clients negotiate with me. So I do know what you're trying to do here. It's like, well, does this one work? Does that one work? Yeah, this is like part of the, this is one of the stages of grief. Bargaining. But should you be able to have a glass of wine or a drink? Absolutely. And Ayurveda says there is nothing that's off limits, but there is what's right for you. So as I said, if you're having hyperacidity, then adding alcohol is like adding fuel to a fire, which is exactly what you're doing. So you're going to increase that problem. Now, ultimately, if you choose to increase that problem because you're going to take it, you're going to deal with it. Then, then you do. But over time, that's what creates disease by doing those wrong things for you. Right. It makes sense. It does make sense. So I guess the, the, maybe the final question in a, in a, just kind of zooming out a little bit, because, you know, our goal here is always to help people understand, you know, these concepts that maybe get spoken about in, in, in broad strokes, but don't really drill into it or give people that are listening something to take away that, you know, we're not, no one is ever going to say, like, we really don't want to preach this message of like, you have to overhaul your entire life and you have to make these big changes in order to be living well. But so we really like to kind of encourage, like, what can somebody do if they feel overwhelmed by this amount of information, or it feels like it's too paralyzing to say like, oh, well, I was, you know, eating for my my blood type or I was eating for Mm -hmm. my like horoscope sign. And now I need to do something totally different because of this dosha thing. What, is, what are some things that people can do that sort of give you the benefits or at least the experience of this without necessarily having to go like full force into it if it just feels like too much? You know, that's a hard question um, to answer because it's such a personalized system of medicine. What's right for one? I, I would say, well, what's right for one is not necessarily right for another, but overall to live within the seasons is going to help. If it's hot and you get overheated in the midday sun, then don't go for a walk in the midday sun. Go for a walk at moonlight where that's a cooling light, for example, as opposed to the heating light of the sun. Most people should wake up before sunrise to feel energized for the rest of the day. So that's one thing that you can do. If you're, if you're a person that's sort of not getting up to eight, nine o'clock in the morning, then just before sunrise, it's going to have you feeling energized for the whole day. Those people that want to lose weight have your biggest meal of the day at lunchtime. That's totally against our culture, but your digestive fire, your metabolism, if you like, is actually at its strongest at lunch. Yeah. So that's the time to have ice cream and the cookies and everything else because then you can digest it better. And truly, if you're looking to lose weight, you've got to make your biggest meal of the day at lunchtime. You're not going to get the reflux and all the rest. Right. And again, it's common sense. Like you're eating a big meal and then you still have time to kind of walk around and use all that energy that you've just consumed. And probably the biggest advice that somebody, you know, the biggest take, take away from this would be just don't eat and run. And yet we live in a culture of doing just that. Don't eat and run. Don't eat and run. Don't sit and eat in your car. Don't eat in front of the computer. Don't eat and multitask with anything else. Right. I don't know why we suddenly... Sure, we got to the point where we sort of think we have to eat and check email. We have to eat and, and do our to-do list. We have to eat and do something else. Just take that time out to eat by yourself. And that's actually going to do a lot um, in terms of good digestion, which ultimately is, is the pillar for everything else. 
so interesting. That is sound advice. I know. It's almost like I just don't quite believe it. You know what I mean? Like, actually, <laughs> it's so simple. It's so simple. It's right. like, wow, I can't believe that it would have that great an impact, great an impact on my digestion. Right. That I'm, like, eating while doing X. Yep. Just just try it. You'll, you'll be amazed. Well, this is really, really wonderful information, Carrie, and we so appreciate you breaking it down in simple terms for people to really try to get their arms around this. And I think there's really useful stuff here for everybody. Thank you. And I want it to be simple. It is my mission to make Ayurveda simple in this modern world and realize that there's a very simple, easy way of doing things. We have made stuff complicated, but it doesn't have to be. (laughs) We do it so well. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and we wish you luck and we will send people to theholistichighway.com. Yes. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to both of you who both have a lot of vata in you. Yes, we do. (laughs) And one of you has a lot more pitta in you, a little bit more uh, driven than the other. Um, But yes, we'll we'll talk some more, I'm sure. Eat some warm, oily avocados. Okay. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.